this year, 2020, it, it seems to be the car wreck that just keeps on going. And the result is that many of us are experiencing more and more pain, grief, and confusion around our pain and grief. How are we to deal with all of this? Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 39. You need an architecture of grief. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Writer's Advance Weekend. Now, many writers fantasize about owning a writing cabin or a beach house or a garret in a manor somewhere. I mean, honestly, I'm not even really sure what a garret is or what I would do with it. My, my point is that writers intuitively know that they are better at writing when they're not distracted. And real life is not structured to encourage writing. Laundry, meals, kids, errands, the dog barking at every leaf that blows through the yard. It's hard. That's why I created the Writer's Advance Weekend. It is a weekend for writers focused on writing. There's no sitting in large lectures listening to experts talk about what worked for them. There's no networking sessions. There's no social media, none of that. Just in an inspiring place, great meals, large blocks of time where you can write uninterrupted, and just enough structure and encouragement to help you get those words out. Now, I just got back from the Fall 2020 Writer's Advance Weekend last week. It was fantastic. We had seven writers gather at Mount Angel Abbey in beautiful Mount Angel, Oregon. They were encouraged. They solved problems that had been plaguing their manuscript, and they wrote. One novelist wrote 3,000 words over the weekend. A nonfiction writer finished their entire outline in a proposal to submit to their agent. A woman started a memoir and wrote 20,000 words in just three days. That is not a typical result. If you're a writer, or if you love a writer, check out the Writer's Advance. There are two spots left for the spring event in April of 2021. And we're opening registration for the fall event in November of 2021, and those spaces will go fast. If you're interested in this event and want to learn more about how it works or to register, check out the website on the screen or in the show notes, www.thewritersadvance.com. All right. Today's episode is an interview with my friend, James Prescott. Now, a lot of noise is made all the time about the negative influence of social media on our lives and our culture. And that estimate is entirely wrong, but social media has done some good things that were not possible before. And one of those is that it's made it possible for us to connect with amazing people that we would never otherwise have met. Today, I want to introduce you to one such person. Now, I've been using Twitter actively for many, many years. I have a large following on Twitter, but the reality is that I only check in every day or so with a small list of people, and James is one of those. James is not likely someone I would have ever met without the internet. He lives in England, for one thing. We move in completely different circles, but James has inspired me by being one of those rare people who works hard online to be his open and real self. He's vulnerable, he asks hard questions, he's willing to talk about his own struggles, and that captured my attention and it opened the door for us to become friends. Now James is an author and he's a podcaster, he's been in a long season of personal and spiritual growth. And today we're gonna to talk about how important this kind of authenticity can be. More importantly, we're going to talk about an idea that I think is crucial for what we're experiencing in the world right now. James is going to suggest that we need an architecture for grief. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, in this conversation, about 20 minutes, we're gonna talk about that. Now, one note, as I said, James lives in England, and so we did our very best to get a recording that was high quality, but there are a few places where the audio and video quality is not as good as I would like. Sorry about that. That said, I am pleased to introduce to you my friend, James Prescott. Well, James, it is very nice to see you across the whole other side of the planet via the internet. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, one of the reasons that um, that we've connected and why we're even speaking today is because you you have really made it your practice to be on social media in a way that is of vulnerable and authentic. And it's so refreshing and inspiring to me because I think social media has really trained all of us to be like personal brand managers and we're curating an image of what we're like. And even if we're not trying to be superficial, social media kind of almost forces us into that mindset. And you're one of the folks I've run into that seems to really intentionally avoid that. And so I'm interested to hear about that. Why is that a choice that you made? How is that impacting your life? What role does it play in your life to be uh, vulnerable and authentic like that on social media? I think it started by accident, you know, when social media first started, because it wasn't the, the big kind of brand thing that it is now. Then it kind of became like, well, I want to be authentic. I want to be real. I don't want to be fake. Part of that is because I'm passionate about being authentic, but also because I started doing mental health advocacy and I wanted people who were struggling to know that they weren't alone. Yes. So I felt like, okay, I will still have boundaries and I still do have boundaries about what I share. I also share more than others maybe because I want people to know that I'm human and that they're not alone if they're struggling. And I want people to have some solidarity and um, and maybe to learn from my experience as well. Maybe to learn what I've been learning. That's exactly what I think drew me to engaging with you because it really felt like from the beginning that you're a real person and your agenda seems to be your own personal development and growth. And then maybe a secondary agenda of doing that in public so that other people know that's available to them. Like, I don't have a sense that you're out to fix other people's lives, but that by doing your own work in public, you are advocating to others, hey, you can do this. You don't have to live in the dark place that you've been in. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's encouraging. Uh, yeah, and we do need it. We do need more of it. Um, because I mean, right now we're going through kind of a mental health grief crisis. You know, we, this 2020 has been uh, a year where we have collectively been grieving. Um, yes. Almost like every week there's something new. You know, uh, we've had a global pandemic. We've had lots of beloved people die. Um, some of them way too young. We've had race murders. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement kind of really taking off. But in tragic circumstances because people have died, innocent people. Yes. And right. they've been murdered. And so everyone's been grieving. Everyone is carrying so much grief. You know, we're, we're all going to have, we've all got wounds from this year. You know, at some point there will be a moment where it's over and we can start really processing. We have to learn how to do, how to manage it in the meantime. We have to be aware of how we need, how we can process that in a healthy way going forward and avoid the unhealthy. That's, that's such a, 
crucial thing for us because normally when you have a, a situation that uh, causes a great deal of sadness or trauma that impacts your life, most of the time that's something that happens kind of all at once. You know, you get in a car accident and in a matter of seconds, the car accident is over. 2020 has been sort of a car accident that has yet to stop. How odd to be processing a trauma while you're in the trauma. How do we how do we even do that? I think what we need right now is, and this brings me back to my Twitter stuff as well, solidarity. We need to know we're not alone. And we need to hear from people who have been through grief and trauma before and have survived and are uh, and have learned how to process that. Yes. You know, that's why I tweet a lot about you're not alone. You know, find people you can trust you can talk to, find professionals that you can talk to. Be honest about it. Feel your your grief and your trauma. Don't ignore it. Don't brush over it. Don't try and hide from it. Don't go into certainty. Go into it in a safe space with with people you trust and community and with experts, with professionals. Um, that's why I keep saying that over and over again. I'm, I, I feel quite fortunate in that now to have had the journey that I've had in the last five years especially because I've learned how to process grief in a healthy way. I've learned to listen to my body and to take care of my body. I know that writing, journaling helps my mental and emotional health. Listening to music sometimes helps, certain certain music. Uh, I know that kind of sometimes meditation or or sometimes just getting out of my head. Right. That's really good like, because it's important not to run away from your grief and to not try and escape it. But it's also good sometimes as part of processing grief to get out of your head for a short period and allow your brain to process for a while and then come back to it uh like so go and watch a comedy program or a film that you la- love and laugh at something that will take take you out of it for long enough just so you can come back to it and not be in the immediacy of it yeah so many of those tools that you mentioned have been really essential for me i'm a big journaler i journal almost almost every day meditation particularly breath and mindfulness meditation has been really helpful in me getting connected to the moment i'm in part of my struggle has been you know growing up and for many years living deeply disconnected uh, from not just my emotions which is what i was trying to avoid but then as a consequence everything around me living disconnected from people and relationships living disconnected from the circumstances and not being present. And then, you know, for me, I have a, a deep interest both personally and as a pastor in spiritual growth. When you live disconnected and you can't be present in the moment, how can you have any kind of connection to the divine? The the present moment is where we connect with God. And if you as a practice of avoiding grief have avoided the present moment, guess what? <laughs> you you are also avoiding connection with the spirit. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's all it's all connected. Everything is connected. I believe that more deeply than ever before. It's my spiritual journey has been has become my personal journey. You know, that's why I moved away from talking using that phrase deconstruction, which everyone talks, everyone kind of uses. But it's more of a regeneration or a transformation. Uh, yeah, those kind of words. Um, it's just this ongoing process of becoming more myself. Mm, yes. The secret no one tells you is that the more you go into your pain, the deeper you go into yourself. So the more you go into your grief and your pain and what's really deep inside of you, you actually get to know yourself and you connect with yourself and you can have a better relationship with yourself. You get to realize who you really are um, right. all the way through. And it's messy <laughs> and it's, it can be painful, but it's 
so much better than hiding away uncertainty and structure and building building stuff structures around the pain. You know, we can we can have a we can have an architecture in our life that builds us that that hides us from our pain, or we can have an architecture that takes us into our pain, into our grief. Let's talk about that. That's a really fascinating uh, mental image that you've just put out on the table of having an architecture in our life that protects us from pain or that allows us to face our pain. What what do you mean by that? You know, when you have certainty, so you have, I mean, religious certainty is something we're both kind of familiar with. Like, so you have kind of a familiar, rigid set of beliefs which are firm and like, you don't question them. There's no room for kind of exploration or mystery or, or even for kind of really feeling your pain. And I had this rhythm. I had a, I had a secure job, which would, would probably wasn't going to go anywhere, but was could have been could have been a job for life. I had a mortgage. I had uh, a church. I had everything was set up in my life, and I thought I'd processed my grief. I thought I'd processed my trauma, and then it was kind of behind me. But I still had problems with lots with anger. I still had anxiety lots of stress there was clearly something that was not resolved and i kind of knew that in a subconscious way but i kind of chose to ignore it for a while <laughs> because my life was okay and it was kind of steady and stable and uh, and then eventually and then, then i had another big trauma which wasn't which was kind of a betrayal um and a, by a mentor around my writing and that was a really big trauma for me because writing was something that I loved. It was my, the deepest love of my life at the point. At that point, uh, and that was a massive trauma. And at that point, I think you could call the divine God said, or just something in me was just saying, like the universe, whatever, was saying, like enough, right? You've got to start dealing with this. Because I, and what I realized is that I had built a structure of my life which allowed me to not really process my pain and just let it be under the surface. In doing that, I was giving it power over me. So I got a spiritual director and I got a coach and started doing lots of inner work at that point. Then, about a year after that, I, for some reason, and this is this was very unlike me at the time, I, I quit my job because I felt like, okay, I need to, this is a different season, I need to move on to something else. And I had a book that I'd written that was going to come out and I was going to try another kind of career. And uh, so I did. And I, But even then, now looking back, I was trying to, find another certainty i was trying to like, yeah. oh, I'll, have, I'll be a successful writer i'll sell loads of books i'll make loads of money and i'll i'll be a successful coach or something and that will be that'll solve everything you know but actually that didn't because it all went wrong for lots of reasons uh and and then i was at the point where i was going to lose everything i was going to lose my i'm going to sell my flat dirt cheap and live on my dad's sofa and you know at that point i experienced suicidal ideation i I remember sitting on the sofa just feeling completely empty and lost and it's like it was like all my securities that I'd built up you know the steady job the mortgage the religion I guess certainty had all gone hmm, right I had nothing left but me and my pain and that was really almost the end but it was actually the beginning I started over and I started and I was still working with my spiritual director. I was working with a coach uh, and I'd done some CBT as well, cognitive behavioral therapy, which had helped me. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work and that's where things really started changing, actually. And what I noticed over time is that I built a new, new architecture in myself, I guess, 
um, an architecture of of grief to go into my pain. Like I saw my pain, my grief as like this this kind of like this well, this pit, and it was all kind of dark and you know down there, and a lot of it was unseen and unknown. I just almost like built a ladder that took me down there and allowed me to go in there and explore it and feel it and process it, and then I could come out again without it really having power over me. I was carrying all of this all along, and I didn't really know it because I was hiding it up with with an architecture of certainty. Yeah, so that's that's what I mean by that metaphor. Like one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite movie trilogies is the Dark Knight trilogy, and this is, in that in that people have seen those movies is it's a basically Bruce Wayne's story, and it's about grief. It's about right. how he processes grief, and actually becoming Batman is like his unhealthy way of processing grief. <laughs> right, right. right? <laughs> Um, because it's almost it almost consumes him, and then he goes into this. In the third movie, he goes into this pit, and to get out of the pit, he has to come to terms with himself and come to terms with his story. And so, when he jumps out of the pit, he's jumping not just out of the pit; he's jumping out from Batman controlling him. Yes, right. And his grief controlling him, and he's now free of it. Right. And he jumps without the rope, so he has to take a risk. He has to risk his life to get through of it, which is, I think is so powerful because that's what you have to do. You have to take a risk to go into your pain and your grief to get free of it. And he gets through of it and he goes back and is Batman again, but then he gives it up and then he's free. And then he's really free of his grief and he can move on with his life. Grief is all bound up in that. Trauma is all bound up in that. And coming to terms with the reality of who we are. Um, and I guess that's what I mean. You know, it's, have a healthy architecture in your life, which allows you to process your grief and your and your trauma and then not let them control you. It seems like to me that, to use that metaphor, the reality is we all have an architecture in our life, but what we normally do is, is we use all that architecture to avoid the pit, right? Like earlier you mentioned, you know, in your evangelical life, going and getting prayer. I'm familiar with that, right? But what that usually means is, I go to somebody and I say, you know, I'm just, I just, I'm just not feeling myself. And I just, I'm feeling all this stress and anxiety and I don't know what's going on. And so I want you to pray for me that that will go away. And so when I'm going to get prayer, I'm actually getting prayer to cover the pit over, not prayer to help me go into it, not prayer to help me understand it, not prayer to help me acknowledge that Jesus is with me in the pit, that God understands and is present in my own darkness, not that. Right, like make it go away. That's exactly it. You nailed it there. It's it's basically kind of medication. <laughs> it's like you know, we kind of medicate ourselves out of everything. I mean, our whole culture does this. Like you can name loads of things that people can do habitually. Some of them wouldn't sound like addictions, but actually, they could. They kind of could have the same effect in that they cover up our dealing with what's really going on in our lives. They provide a reason or an excuse yeah. to not face to not face and deal with what's really there, what's really driving us. Yeah, that's what. And anything that could be work, that could be shopping, it can be sport, it can be you know watching TV, it can <laughs> it can be food, it can be anything. It can be religion, toxic religion. I'm talking about not healthy religion, toxic religion, so religious certainty it can be all sorts of things that we can use to medicate our way out of dealing with what's really going on. We've been trained to do it as a culture. It's kind of, 
that's how we've that's how we've been indoctrinated to that's what the system tells us it's like you don't have to be in pain you don't have to be in conflict you can just medicate it all you can just get simple answers which will just solve the problem we've come to see discomfort as a bad thing right exactly right discomfort is a good thing because it helps us grow it helps us understand with what's what's going on, what the truth is. Right. What you're saying, I'm. this is so key for people, and I think for spiritual maturity, is that there is a way to learn how to be comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Right? We're trained that discomfort is the signal to make the discomfort stop. The second you feel discomfort, you need to change that situation. So you need to get away from that person, or you need to leave that job, or you need to fight that person who's who's right in front of your face or whatever. Like discomfort is a trigger to try and get you back to feeling okay again. And the spiritual practice is the opposite of that. The spiritual practice is, oh, look, discomfort. I wonder what that means. Yeah, that's right. Let it be your teacher. As in, what can what is what is this trying to tell me? Yeah, what's going on here? You know, uh, what can I learn from this? What decision do I have to right. make? Well, let's let's take that and apply it very practically because we began this conversation talking about uh, two things that kind of fell in sequence. One was your authenticity and vulnerability online, and then the second one was how. Uh, we're all experiencing globally kind of a corporate grief as we're going through these losses that we're experiencing. So if we don't want to do the old way of avoiding the pit, then then what's the right thing? How do we let this grief we're feeling be a teacher to us right now? Good question. I think we need to need to pause. And I think you know, turn off social media. Getting a getting a, getting a pen and a paper or just a laptop even, just and just write out what's inside of you. Allow yourself to be discomforted by it because it's it's right to be uncomfortable with what's happening in the world. It's yeah, right, right to be uncomfortable with all the changes that are happening. But in terms of grief and trauma, yeah, we need to. It begins with naming it. It means like just pausing and acknowledging that it's there, uh, and finding people. And you probably already know who these people are. People in your life who you can talk to about it, who are friends. Yeah, yeah. Finding community where you can talk about it, and you can do that in person or online. There's plenty of places. And if you need to get professional help, don't be afraid to get it, and make space for yourself. As in, have grace with yourself. Don't shame yourself or feel guilty for being frustrated or angry or or traumatized, you know, or being full of grief. It's okay. Right. We're all human. We're not we're not robots, uh, and we don't do everything right. And we have feelings, and we have yeah. anxieties, and we have things from our past which might you might not have dealt with, and they might suddenly come up. Uh, and it's important we have support around us to do that. Uh, because we can't do, we can't process it on our own. We can't deal with it on our own because that's not that's not healthy to try and do this on our own. But it begins by naming it. But it begins by telling the truth. Like in the Bible, there's this story of Jesus and casting out the demon, and the first thing he does is name it. Right. What right. I heard yeah. from somebody is that in Jewish culture, when you name something, you took power over it. 
So, so when we start to name what is going on in us, we can start to take power of it rather than having it be in control of us. And that's when you can start to journey towards freedom, real freedom. Right. And we can't get there without looking at the stuff, right? If, if we continue with this architecture of, of safety, this architecture of certainty, we can feel like, well, that stuff in the pit's not impacting my life, but it is. There's odors that come out of the pit. There's, you know, that stuff is, it's, it's in your life. It's shaping your drives. It's impacting the way you relate to other people. And to do what you're talking about, the only way is to go into it, to look at it, to see it for what it is, to name it, to be truthful, right? Jesus says that truth sets us free, right? That 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 is the path to freedom. And so many of us, uh, because we don't want to feel uncomfortable, uh, aren't willing to name what is really so about our life and about our world. And yet the freedom you're talking about only comes when we're willing to look at this stuff. And, and so you're saying, you know, through these practices, you're talking about uh, personal practices like journaling or meditation. You're talking about support practices like therapy or coaching. You're talking about communal practices like being vulnerable and letting other people know when you're dealing with hard stuff and not hiding that, not needing to put on a mask to pretend to be something that you aren't or to be stronger than you are. Like when, when we, when we allow these practices to shape our life, then that, if I'm understanding you, is the architecture that allows us to face and process our grief that allows us to grow and find healing. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's it's a healthy architecture, you know, uh, a healthy architecture of grief. Yeah, because it allows us to go into that, into that, into that pit, into that well and come out again. And it not being in control of us. Yes, and, which is what we want. Yeah, that's right. And you can still go there. And when you go in there, you find out it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> uh, so you keep building a ladder down. Um, and uh, the deeper you go, the more free you get. The deeper you go, the freer you get. That is the perfect summary of the work of the inner life. That's our goal. Not to be governed or driven by discomfort or by our need to escape discomfort, but instead to be willing to go into the difficult places ourselves and with other people. That's where we'll find the spirit at work within us, growing us in the image of Christ. And we can decide when we face those hard things, if we want to join in with the spirit's work, lean into what God is doing, And when we do, our grief and our pain are transformed into character growth. This doesn't happen by accident. We can structure our lives in such a way that we avoid feeling pain, or we can practice habits that allow us to face our pain and learn from it. May you have the courage to build a healthy architecture of grief so that your pain can lead you deeper into growing in the image of Christ. Thanks for listening. Notes for today's episode and any links mentioned are at www.markallenchelsky.com forward slash TAW039. I'd like to have you join my email list. It's two emails a month at most, sometimes less. 
It will include links to my writing and other things that will serve you on your journey that I've found. Plus, you'll get a free short book right now that I call The Anchor Prayer, a prayer and practice for remaining grounded in a chaotic world. This is a tool that has been so deeply helpful to me. It's been helpful to my church. I want you to have it. So hit up my website, www.markallenshelsky.com and get a copy for yourself. And if you like what you're hearing here, would you please subscribe on YouTube? My goal is to hit 500 subscribers. Did you know that YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet? Right now, when people want to learn something, the first place they search is YouTube. Well, I wanna be able to reach those people there, and you can help me. Because when you like and subscribe on YouTube, even if you're not someone who watches YouTube very often, it tells YouTube's algorithm that people like you might like this information, this content, this podcast, and that's how it gets served up as a recommendation to other people on their YouTube homepage. So it would be a huge gift to me and to other people who want to grow spiritually if you would head over to YouTube right now and subscribe. Thank you so much. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, and as James said several times, You are not alone.